Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Good morning, Crosswalk, and welcome to our invitation series. Uh, No matter what campus you're on, you should be joining us for this uh, seven-week journey, really, as we move towards Easter. And one of the things that we've hoped is that you would invite somebody perhaps to study with you. And if that person is here with you right now, welcome. We're super glad that you're here. And if it's going to be something that happens outside of church, we just want to ask for God's blessing on that as you engage. My name is Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor of Crosswalk Church here in Redlands and Point Loma. That has been added to my portfolio and my conference. But I'm also the teaching pastor for the Crosswalk Global Network of Churches. Mouthful. Um, All I know is this, we're glad you're here and we're inviting you in. And the truth is there is power to an invitation. I don't know if you've ever been invited to something. You probably have. In fact, you've probably been invited to a great many things. So uh, one of the most important things you can be invited to at any given time is a date, right? Invitations can be significant because that date might lead to 30 years of a relationship, right? You've been married together and living life together. How about an invitation to go on to a trip somewhere you've never been before? And once you've been there, you wanted to go again and again and again. And now it's part of your life and who you are, right? How about an invitation to have coffee? Just coffee. And now you have a friend for life. An invitation maybe to go play golf and you fall in love and then you're cursed with a desire to be a better golfer, which we know never really happens. That's not a real thing. It's only a miracle that people can play golf well. And in fact, I wonder, what's the best invitation that you have ever received? I mean, can you remember it? Was it a party? Maybe a membership. You're invited to be a membership. Maybe to be part of a group. Or maybe it was a job. You were invited to a new job. Or maybe it was to a school you wanted to go to or a program that you could study at. But did the invitation change you? Did it change your status? Did it change your trajectory in the world? Did it change your priorities even? Did the invitation you received open up a world that might not have been opened up to you? You might not have had access to you. Listen, I said it before, but invitations are powerful. Proverbs tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. This is Proverbs 18.21. Your words have the power to encourage someone or to discourage someone, to let them in or shut them out. Your words have the power to build or to destroy. And listen, Scripture is full of invitations from God to us. There's a bunch, and I'm not going to go through too many, but one is that, in fact, I think it's the first one. The first invitation is that you know your significance, right? This is God's first invitation. Matthew 5, 13, you are light of the world. And in 5, 14, you are salt of the earth. The world needs to see and you bring that to them. The world needs some flavor. And when you're in it, the world is a little bit better place. Listen, uh, we don't have a tendency to really think about salt until we don't have it. I've gotten into this habit over the last few months of... um, taking a few hard-boiled eggs into work. And I get really hungry. And when I want to eat those hard-boiled eggs, it's great. And when I don't have salt, it's not so great. I have to go searching around the church for anything that gives me any kind of spice to it, whether it's sriracha, whether it's tapatio, whether it's, I don't know. We don't seem to have any salt here. 
but you need to know your significance. You've been called, you have been called to be salt and light. You are salt and light. It took me a while to understand the light on my Apple watch, right? Because I don't know if you know this, but there's a button that you push and the light comes on and then it gets brighter. And I used to walk through my house in the middle of the night, dark, knocking into things, hitting my knee, hitting my toes. But light really helps with that. Dr. Martin Luther King, in his sermon, Loving Your Enemies, says this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And he echoes the call of God in that if we are light, we are called to illuminate the darkness that is out there. Not your light, but the light of God in you. That's your significance. You are salt and light. But if we're honest, we struggle with the idea of significance, particularly when it comes to sharing Christ. We let someone else do that. We feel like, well, I don't know enough. I haven't studied enough. I don't have a degree. Okay, well, know this. I have all those things. I've studied, I have a degree, and I still feel too insignificant to share Jesus. In fact, why does God need us to share him in the first place? Can't he just let people know? That would be better. And of course he could, but strangely, he chose you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 states, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God is doing this through us. I mean, are we the best people he should use? Is this a good idea? Maybe not. I think a dog talking would be more effective. A donkey talking would be more effective. And he's used that before. He's familiar with the breed. But he says this in Matthew 16, 19, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. What doors you lock or unlock, says some other translations. If you decide not to tell someone about Jesus, you're locking a door. You're forbidding them from entry. If you invite, this is unlocking the door and you are permitting them knowledge of the love of Christ. This text that we read tells us of our significance. Who gets to be ambassador? Listen, who gets to be ambassadors in the world? Have you ever thought, we don't think about ambassadors a great deal here in the U.S., right? We hear about them. They were an ambassador to this. It has a tendency to be somebody of significance. Often they're given away as favors, political favors, but those big, big ambassadorships, they go to people of significance, people who the leader can trust to represent them. So you have to understand this. You being called to be salt and light, you being called to be ambassadors for Christ means that God trusts you with his reputation, with his understanding, and with other people's understanding of who he is in the world. It's important that you know your significance because he doesn't just ask everyone. He asks those who can represent him, not just well, but accurately. The second invitation from God is knowing his compassion. You see, we began to trust God, not simply because we were invited by someone, but because we felt the love of God emanate through that person who asked us 
to come and be a part of this thing. We experience God's compassion through someone who showed us God's compassion. How? Not just their words, because people hear what is behind their words. Have you ever written an email when you're angry? When you're really angry, not just a little angry, but like really, really angry. Have you ever written an email with that and sent it? You shouldn't, because it never works, right? When you write it and you're trying not to sound angry, but you are angry, it comes through. They know your heart. Because the power of your heart is palpable. And the truth is, everything incarnates. Everything incarnates all the time. But when people experience God's compassion through you, they know that the invitation is real and they know it's for something phenomenal. See, when we know God's compassion for us, as we've been invited into his compassion for us, we show God's compassion to other people. This is when the invitation really begins to take hold. They hear the invitation from God's heart coming through your heart to the heart of those you have invited. So your invitation is important. And hey, it might not be to study. It might just be to coffee. It might be just to come to church or maybe not come to church. All right, maybe just come to church on Easter. Don't do all these other weeks of whatever. Just come to church on Easter because that day is somehow easier for people to come to church because they're kind of in that mindset. But remember, sometimes people are nervous about God or the church or Christians. They may have spent time calling on God and never having heard a response. They may have gone to church before and had a very bad experience. They may have encountered Christians and found their hearts to be less than the heart of God. The words of Jesus actually recognize this and speak to it. We're starting in Luke 18. These are eyewitness accounts, but many of the words of Jesus. We're staying in the book of Luke for this seven-week series, by the way. Luke 18, one. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. It already starts a little strange, right? Why should they have to pray and not give up? Many people will study, right? Many of the people that you study with and maybe you've experienced this when you're trying to pray. They're just trying to reach God and they're not feeling like their prayers go anywhere. Feels like it doesn't matter. Feels like it falls on deaf ears or no ears at all. Well, the story continues, right? Jesus says there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. Auspicious beginning. This was not a great guy. This guy was a jerk and everybody knew it. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And she kept on it. She kept saying, and listen, this is the problem. This is what I need. She did it again and again and again and again. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, listen, I don't fear God. I don't care about people, which is a weird reiteration. Who knows if he really said it to himself, but he's recognizing that he doesn't care too much. But he says, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. She wore him down completely. She just did. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. What lesson can we learn from this? Even he rendered a just decision, says Jesus in the end. So don't think God will, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out for him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He likens himself to the judge, but not parallel to the judge. Basically, it's a type anti-type situation. In other words, it's an opposite type of situation. This judge was like that, but don't you think God's going to be so much better? And he says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? So it's interesting. He says, of course, the son of man is going to, he's going to respond to this. But when he comes back, 
How many of you are going to wait it out? How many of you are going to just keep applying it to yourself? Because you know you need that justice that he has. You know you need that grace that he has. You know you need that hope that he has. So you keep praying. And I got to tell you, there have been people who have been trying to pray and have not heard anything. And there's people who even leave faith because they're like, listen, I speak to God. I don't hear God speak to me. And so because of that, he knows where to find me. If he wants to find me, I'll come back to faith. Well, you understand that by your invitation, God may be finding that person. You may be the answer to prayer for that person. Why? Because you invited, because your words are important, because you said, come with me. Listen, I believe this. I believe God hears our prayers. He indicates that he hears them and he indicates that he will respond. But when we don't hear a response, what we're supposed to do, what we need to do, what we've probably a good practice to do is keep asking. If you have kids, you know what this is like. Hey, are we there yet? Hey, can we do this? Hey, can again and again and again and again and again. And you know what? You don't love them less. You might get annoyed a little bit, but you, love, you don't love them less because of this. In fact, you usually do what they ask. Now, that's if somebody had a hard time with God, but what if somebody had a hard time with church and you're there looking at an invitation to come back? I wonder if Jesus spoke to this as well. I think he did. And it's in the right next verse. If someone had been to church and met the pious and righteous or self-righteous, it's clear they could have been turned off. But in the very next verse, Jesus shows us something that helps with this. Luke 18, verse 9, it says this. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. So fascinating. He calls out the audience and the audience is a group of people who he's about to talk about, <laughs> right? So he's, he's basically saying, listen, this is going to make you mad. So get ready. But you know, the self-righteous are mad all the time. The righteous are easily offended because they don't think they should sully themselves by being around that which is less than they are. So he begins. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. Here's the juxtaposition, right? One who knows the law, one who might know it, but does not live by it. Pharisee stands by himself and prays this prayer, clearly where people could hear it. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. And just in case you hadn't caught it, he says, and I'm certainly not like that guy. And this just stinks, <laughs> right? This is the worst kind of arrogance. Somebody who thinks they're that much better or they're that much more favored by God. And man, we do this all the time when we're not careful. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. God bless me with this. God bless me with that. Well, other people get those things and may be a blessing. But we attribute everything that's good in our lives that God gave it to us as some sort of favor. Now, I'm not denying that that sometimes happens, but we have a tendency to wear that like a badge of honor, like God could only bless us with these types of things. If we're not careful, it can lead to arrogance and not humility. But what we see here is that he's all over it. And then he goes, listen, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Fasting, tithing, right? Spiritual disciplines, we talked about this last week. Right? And saying it out loud. Remember what, do you remember that last, you may not remember last week, 
I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago and you've had uh, a campus week in between and probably lots of life. But one of the things Jesus said is he was talking about people fasting. He was like, when you fast and pray, don't act like you're all disheveled and don't let people know. God's the one who needs to know. He's the only one who needs to know and he knows. And your reward is going to come in heaven. If not, if you're just going around, if you're just bragging about it, understand that's the only gift. That's the only reward you're ever going to get. But if you let God know and God knows, your reward will be great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, continuing on. Luke 18, 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance, right? Dare not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. See, the tax collector knew something the Pharisee didn't know. He knew he was a sinner. He knew there was a gap between himself and the righteousness of God. And he knew the gap wasn't something that he would be able to bridge himself. Right? Jesus turns around and goes, listen, I tell you this. This sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. Jesus wrapped this up succinctly. Why would the sinner be justified before God? Simple. The tax collector knew that he needed God. The Pharisee seemed to believe he had worked everything out. We can only begin to accept the invitation that God has for us when we realize that we need that invitation. When we realize that there is a lack. When we speak of a God-shaped hole, for some of us, it's a vast sucking vacuum in our lives that desperately needs God. And when we recognize it, the invitation is sweet relief, not an annoyance. And I wonder, when did you realize that you needed God? Right? This is important because in recognizing our need for God, we begin to admonish God in our prayers and we are to pray unceasingly that God would hear us. I don't know. What was that greatest thing you were invited to? The thing that changed your life, the thing that made all the difference in the world. Do you know that some of you, some of you out there, you're going to say church. You are six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 15 year old. And somebody invited you to go to church. Maybe it was your friend who lived on the block and you weren't doing anything that day. And so they said, hey, why don't you come with us? Maybe you were in high school and a kid who was in the Christian club asked you to come to one of their meetings. Maybe there was a concert going on and you thought it would be cool to go see some local Christian band play, even though you didn't know it was a Christian band. And you showed up and got to meet people. Somewhere along the line, you realized that you needed God. You realized that the thing that could fill your life and probably fill it to the fullest was God. But you wouldn't have known that had the invitation not come, however it came. You know, the next few stories in this text kind of continue this journey. It's the story of the children coming to Jesus and the children, they don't, just to be clear, like, you know, the disciples are trying to keep them away. And he says, oh, what does he say? Suffer the little children unto me. That's always, I've never liked that suffer. But he's like, hey, let them come on, right? The kids, they didn't know that they needed Jesus as a savior. They just know that this dude was awesome. And then the next story is the story of the rich man who says, what must I do to get to the kingdom of heaven? 
And Jesus delineates the things that he needs to do. And he goes, well, the good news is I've done all those things. And Jesus goes, oh, there's one last thing you need to do. You need to be in want and you have everything you need. So what you've got to do is get rid of all that stuff you have so you can recognize the need in your heart. And you know what the scripture says? The scripture says that the man left sad because he was very wealthy. And this is why Jesus says, you know, harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He does, he's not saying that because he doesn't like wealthy people. What he's saying is that sometimes when we think we've fulfilled everything that we need, when we think we have everything, we don't understand the need that we still have for God. Jesus invited him to understand that. How did he invite him? He invited him to understand that by getting rid of everything that he owned so that he could see the need that he had for God. Maybe it's a weird invitation, but the truth is the man couldn't accept it because that would be too much. That would be too much change. It would change his trajectory. It would change his life and he wasn't ready to do that. Then Jesus had this interaction to finish the chapter. Luke 18.35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting by the road. So this is going to be the last stop that they make, Jericho, before the trip up the... It's not really a mountain, right? The trip up the hill. Maybe it's a little bit of a mountain. Anyway, up to Jerusalem, right? So he's in, he's in Jericho, um, walled city at the time, um, or maybe the walls have fallen down. But Jericho's always been a bit of an oasis, so it's a nice place to stop. So people congregated there, particularly before they took the rest of the journey up the hill. We've got a beggar. He's on the side of the road because that's where beggars stay. They're not allowed in houses. They're not allowed in a lot of places. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was going on. So the beggar was attuned to what was happening around him. And they told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going to go walk by. This context, right? But when he hears this, he realizes this is my opportunity because there's something that I need that only Jesus has. There's something that he carries along with him, this presence of God, this ability to heal, not just miraculous. It's not wizardry. He's understanding that the presence of God heals people. The presence of God recognizes the hurt and the ache and the holes in people and it fills them and it fix them and it heals them. So he wasn't going to let this opportunity go by. Much like the woman in the first story, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew this was his chance. He started shouting and he was relentless. How do we know he was relentless? Because everyone around him said, shut up, be quiet. But you know what he did? He only shouted louder. Have you ever been, have you ever been somewhere where someone's shouting and you want them to just be quiet? I mean, like shouting, like obnoxious, like a, this is like a hockey game when somebody's fighting for their team and you end up with a fight going on and like that kind of loud. That's what was going on. He's yelling, right? And they're saying, be quiet. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. These people were not interested in him yelling. They didn't think he should have access to Jesus as he was not whole. But see, the beggar knew that's why he needed access to Jesus. Because he wasn't whole. He wasn't complete. He needed help. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought directly to him. 
As the man came to him, Jesus asked him. Right, we'll get to that in a second. See, Jesus needed to get them to understand that he didn't function like the ways of this world and that Jesus came to heal those who needed healing, not just those who could get close to him. And so he looks at the man as if he didn't know and he says, what do you want me to do for you? The man answers simply, and I love this. I love that he didn't go on a big soliloquy, right? Talking about why he deserved to be healed. He didn't go on this whole journey of discovery of, of what had happened to him when he was young and why he was the way that he was. He didn't do any of that. He just said, Lord, I want to see because what's broken in me is that I can't see. And so I want to see. And Jesus says, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. See, Jesus acquiesces because the man recognized what he needed. What did he need? He needed the healing power of Jesus. And it says instantly that the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. That's a, that's a turnaround for a crowd who was saying, shut up, man. We don't want you to hear about it. Now they're running around praising God, saying, we knew how good God was. Sorry about not letting you yell. Jesus invited the man into healing and everything changed. So maybe a good question to ask right now is, have you recognized what you need? Have you? When you pray, when you are invited into the ambassadorship that Jesus has for you, do you remember that it is all of grace that you have been invited Your invitation is powerful, particularly when you are an ambassador for Christ because your invitation is the surrogate invitation for Jesus. So whether you're inviting somebody to a coffee shop, whether you're inviting somebody to church, whether you're inviting somebody to study, whether you're inviting somebody on a mountain bike ride or road bike ride or any kind of bike ride, motorcycle, whatever, Your invitation has the power to change someone, to change their life, to change their opportunities, to change their understanding, to change their worldview, to get them to understand who Jesus is and understand that the invitation that you've given them is actually an invitation from Jesus to step into a life of grace, this resurrection life that Jesus experienced. You see, you are an invitation. How can you be an invitation for someone else? You can be an invitation simply by recognizing what it is that you have witnessed. Because you have witnessed your need and how Jesus fills it. When you recognize that and you can share that, you understand that every word you say becomes an invitation for someone else to have that same sort of filling, that same sort of overflow of love that comes from the heart of God. That compassion that people meet through us as we are compassionate to them because Christ has been compassionate to us. When we do that, we become the invitation to someone else. Your witness is your invitation, but that also means that your life is the invitation. And so as you stand and speak to someone of God, 
And by the way, sometimes speaking to someone of God is just simply asking them to be in a relationship with you. When that happens, you become an invitation and you begin to realize how powerful that invitation really can be. So remember back. Remember back to that person who invited you to church, whether you were six or 16 or 60 years old. That person who, who thought enough of you and who loved God just as much and said, hey, just, you got a few minutes? Hey, let's go get coffee. I got something I want to tell you about. Or, hey, let's go get coffee. I'd just like to hear your story. Tell me where you come from, what you're about. What do you value and what gives you strength? Tell me what you're famous for. Those invitations, well, they could change everything. And if they do, it means that you've been part of the invitation that comes from Christ to this world. And you've truly stepped into that position of ambassador. You are salt. And you are light. And you are expanding the kingdom of God through the invitation that he has given you and that you have given away as well. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your hope, Lord, let all of that be in us. And Lord, as we think about, find, experience those people that need your love. May we give them exactly what they need at exactly the right time. Lord, if it's an ask to come, great. Lord, if it's a quiet moment, if it's a time to sit, if it's a coffee, whatever it is, Lord, may we be your people. May your compassion flow through us so that they understand that the invitation that we give comes from the deepest part of our heart. And Lord, we are so thankful for who you are, who you have been, your life, your death, and certainly your resurrection. And Lord, we have witnessed it all. And may we witness even more as we continue to live in you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.